I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. O oh Lord, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Raise your hand if you ever got to read The Pilgrim's Progress. Nice. So if you haven't read that, I encourage you guys to read it. It's really good um, by John Bunyan. It's a, it's a classic, and it's an, it's an allegory just on the Christian life, um, just spiritually what goes on in the Christian and his, in his walk uh, in this life to uh, what Bunyan calls the celestial city. Um, and there's a point in the story where Christian and Hope are walking on the way toward the celestial city. Christian's kind of the main character, and he, and he has a friend named Hope at this point. Um, and Christian suggests walking along a meadow that's parallel to the path, and it looks, it looks easier to walk on, and, and, he, and he's thinking that it's going to still keep him close to the path. And soon, um, as they're going along, they're off the path in this meadow. They run into a man named Vain Confidence, and everybody's name it kind of repre represents something, and it represents kind of like who they are in the story. And this man is named Vain Con Confidence, and he's going the same way that they're going. Um, and Vain Confidence suggests that his way, it's the right way to the celestial city. Well, that night, Vain Confidence falls into a pit, never to be seen again. And Christian and Hopeful are captured by a giant named Despair. And the giant locks them up in his dungeon called Doubting Castle. And the giant had locked them in there for days, days and days, without a drop of water or food. He would come in to beat them to a point where they couldn't even defend themselves anymore. And all they could do was just breathe. And the giant despair, his goal was to tempt them into taking their own lives. He would tempt them, saying that this state is worse than before and they're never going to get out. Christian was tempted towards giving in to the giant's advice. And he was talking to Hopeful, should we just, should we just give in to it? And Hopeful reminded him of three things. Number one, the giant despair does not have authority over the law of our Lord. Our Lord has given us the good precepts. One of them for us is you shall not murder, and that includes us. They clung to, first thing, they clung to the precepts of God's word. Number two, despair is not infallible. Others have escaped from his hand. Let us be patient, and we will have an opportunity to escape too. So they clung to the promise of God's word. And number three, Hopeful was telling Christian, remember how the Lord helps you defeat Apollyon? Remember how he's brought you through the valley of the shadow of death? Remember how he brought you through Vanity Fair? And they meditated on God's wondrous, faithful works in their lives. So when they had every reason to give up and give in to the giant's temptations, it was confidence not in themselves, not a vain confidence, but in God's word that they persevered through. 
So maybe this morning you're feeling like you're trapped in Doubting Castle and the giant despair is just looming over you. The psalmist in our passage this morning felt the same way, as if his soul was just clinging to the dust, melting away for heaviness. In that moment for the psalmist, for him, what made him persevere was clinging to the testimonies of God. That is the key that I think the psalmist wants us to see this morning. So my big idea, if you're writing notes, dependence on God's word is the remedy for the cast down to run free. In our structure for the passage this morning, it's, it's broken up into, into two points within this stanza, uh, four verses and then another four verses. Uh, the first is, the discouraged finds life and strength in the God who answers. That's in verses 25 to 28. And the second is dwell closely with God's word as he opens wide your heart. That's verses 29 to 32. I'll pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning um, heavy a soul and we confess, Lord, that we need you. We need your promises. We need your precepts. We need your grace. Lord, I just pray for our hearts this morning that you would relieve us of any despair, anxiety, and that you would direct our gaze, not to ourselves, to any confidence we might claim to have, but on Christ. God, I pray that our confidence, that you would place it more and more in Christ this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, and, and I pray that you would just help me. In Jesus' name, amen. First point, the discouraged finds life and strength in the God who answers. We're going to be focusing on verses 25 to 28, so I encourage you to have your Bibles open this morning. In the first set of four verses, the psalmist begins with a somber tone. The state of his soul, his inner being, is in turmoil, depressed, despondent. Verse 25 says, my soul clings to the dust. And this idea of clinging to the dust, to the earth, is one of being spiritually paralyzed, unable to move and get up. There is a spiritual heaviness. And this idea of dust in the Bible represents cursedness and death. When Adam and Eve in the garden disobeyed God and ate of the fruit, and sin had come into the world, death had become their due. And God says to Adam this dust language, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In verse 28, he also mentions his soul melting away for sorrow. His soul is shrinking away. Sorrow and grief are just over-occupying his mind as if he is wasting away. And the, the KJV translates, my soul melteth away for heaviness. Again, his soul is heavy to where he cannot move. This is the psalmist's spiritual state. 
whatever heaviness, whatever spiritual heaviness the psalmist was going through, he felt as if he was ready for death itself. So a question to ask is, why is the psalmist feeling this way? It can be either turmoil from without, from outside of him. In the last stanza last week, we know that princes were plotting against him. He was facing scorn and contempt. It could also come from within. In verses 26, he speaks of him telling his ways to God, and it's coupled with the request in verse 29 to put false ways far from him. The psalmist, he's wrestling with the flesh. His own sin is burdening him as he's seeking to know and honor God. He wants to want God. He wants to want to know God. So it could be both that he is dealing with turmoil from without, from within, whether his sorrow is coming from without or within, notice what his response to all of it is. It's not looking to the wisdom of the world or the culture or how to have joy or meaning. He's not looking to himself as if the answer is found inside himself and he just needs to let it out. He looks to God's word as his life, as his strength and wisdom. Notice in verses 25 and 28, where the psalmist mentions the state of his soul, both verses are coupled with the request, the request to give me life and give me strength. Give me life and strength by what? Both sources are according to your word. He understands that in the word of God, in his context, in the Torah, there are gospel promises for him to cling to. Promises that God is merciful and gracious. He's forgiving iniquity and sin. Promises that God is with him and will not forsake him. Promises that there is a coming Messiah who will bring salvation to his people. Promises that the one who sets his way and his heart to seek God by his commandments will be blessed. And the psalmist understands it it's by God's word that God gives him spiritual life to rise up from death's dust. He understands it's by God's word that God will give him comfort and peace and hope and strength to stand in this world that he must sojourn through. And it's interesting, in times of spiritual heaviness, it's easy to think that the thing to pray for is, Lord, remove this from me. Right, and we should. The, the psalmist did it for the circumstance in his last stanza. But in this stanza, in the heaviness of his soul, what does he pray for? Lord, teach me your statutes in the midst, in the midst of this heaviness. What he is more concerned with is not that the heaviness would pass in and of itself, but that God would give him the wherewithal to cling to his testimonies, to have the backbone to power through the heaviness. As Christopher Ash says, the psalmist wants to have, he's concerned about his character. The psalmist wants to have solidity in character and straightness. He realizes that the deepest danger he faces is not that he will be crushed by his enemies, but that he will be 
jellified and go soft. His greatest threat is not the power of his enemies, but their seduction. And perhaps he remembers that the people of Israel were unharmed by Balaam's curses in Numbers, which God turned into blessing. But remember what happened right after that? Literally, right after, the people of Israel were seduced by Balaam into having relations with the Moabite women that led them into idolatry. They were safe in the face of a curse, but they went soft when lured by seduction. Clinging to the word of God, dependence on him must be for us a constant day-to-day thing that we would be steadfast. In between these two requests, for life and for strength in the midst of sorrow and dust, we see another couplet. Look at verses 26 and 27. The psalmist sets his sights on the true way. He says, when I told of my ways, you answered me. It was good for his soul to tell the Lord of his ways. It was good for him to confess his cares and his worries and his burdens. It was even good for him to confess his sins to his God. He knows his God desires a broken and contrite heart. It is in confessing sin to God does the weight of sin get lifted. Psalm 32, three to five. David says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then he confesses. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. He didn't do it, but God did. He said, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When he told of his ways to God, God answered him. What is the answer that he wants and needs? The answer is for God to teach him his statutes. Verse 27, to understand the way of his precepts. And here we again see the two ways before us and before the psalmist. His own way, the world's way that leads to falsehood, and the true way, that is God's way, the way of faithfulness. We, we, and, and then we see the psalmist putting all of his ways before God. He, he holds nothing back. And in return, when he, he just puts before God all of his ways, there's a return that God answers back, revealing the way of his precepts to the psalmist. When God answers back with grace, the psalmist takes this to heart. Verse 27 says that he will meditate on his wondrous works, especially as he feels like clinging to the dust, he sets his mind on what God has done for him. God has never let him down. God never will. Remembering God's faithfulness is good for the soul. So you you may be feeling like your soul is clinging to the dust this morning, Maybe there's scorn and contempt from without. Maybe someone at work or school just said something hurtful to you and it's just weighing on you. You're buying into the lies of the evil one. Maybe your soul is burdened from struggles within. Maybe you've been walking through life feeling like the weight, 
feeling, feeling like the weight of sin is just heavy on you and you, you haven't dealt with it, or you're just wrestling with the flesh in general. And with all of this, we're surrounded by a world that tells us that it has answers at every corner, right? The, the smartphone and social media has just become the filter that we all live, relate, and interact with in this life. Just scroll, just scroll any social media for a few minutes and you will find many voices, many different answers. Voices that say, look inside yourself to find meaning and identity, or, or look to others for meaning and identity and affirmation for you. And the whole, and on top of that, the whole idea of personal sin and just sin in general has been repressed, right? In our times of discouragement, God has blessed us with many different things. He's physical and spiritual. He's blessed us with basic physical things like good healthy food and water and exercise, the nice Arizona sun rays that we can go out and take a walk in as the, as the sun is rising or setting, not in the afternoon, it's too hot. I love the sunsets, they're so beautiful. He's blessed us with naps, right? He's even blessed us with doctors and medical intervention. These are all good gifts from God. He's blessed us with these things, but these are all only physical. We are more than just bodies. We are bodies and souls. And we so often neglect what God has given us for our souls. That's his word. There is life in God's word. Are you coming to God this morning like the psalmist in prayer and pleading, give me life according to your word. Give me strength according to your word. And we're, we're on this side of the cross this morning. On this side of the cross, are we looking to God's word for life and strength? In it, we are to look to Christ who is the word made flesh. And it says in John 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the bread of life. And as Lucas read this morning, the one whom Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Look to Jesus. Look to him for life. In your times of spiritual heaviness, Are you meditating from his work how he has been faithful in so many ways? Are you meditating how he has been faithful to you in your own life? He's never failed you. He's never failed me. He never will. One of the diagnoses, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he spends a lot of time on this topic uh, for spiritual heaviness, and one of the diagnoses is, um, is that we spend too much time looking at ourselves We look at our past mistakes, our failures, and we begin to feel guilt and shame. When we look to ourselves, we let ourselves down. What's the the prescription Lloyd-Jones gives? He says, look to Jesus and don't look away. Jason Meyer says on his biography, faith in the finished work of Christ means saying farewell to our sinful past. The gospel puts your past under the blood so that it is buried in the sea of forgetfulness. 
Therefore, quit taking trips back in time to wallow in regret. What a miserable time machine the mind can be. The only reason we look back, we ought to look back, is to give praise to God because we are looking past our past at the finished work of the cross where our guilt and shame is dealt with. So I encourage you this morning, meditate on the wondrous works of God. Next, do you come to God with all of your ways? There is healing and lift, there is a healing and a lifting off of weight when we truly come to him. And this can also look like confessing your ways to a trusted brother or sister in Christ who will listen to you, who will pray for you, who will keep you accountable. We don't confess our ways to God so that we can learn about him. Or, I'm sorry, so that he can learn about them. Um, he knows them all. We confess them that we would know about them, our ways, and bring them out of hiding and get rid of them and that we would squash our pride. You may be feeling like your soul is melting away for sorrow and you're just, you're just clinging to the dust. Do you want more of spiritual life and strength and God answering you and less of spiritual heaviness? One of the ways he gives us is confess your ways to God and the promise is that he will answer. It doesn't take a day, it, it takes time. It takes prayer. Second point, dwell closely with God's word as he opens wide your heart. Verses 29 to 32 is where we'll be looking. As we move to this next set of four verses, there's a change of tone. The psalmist, he began with clinging to the dust, but by the end of this, it's amazing, now he's clinging to God's testimonies. Rather than his soul melting away for sorrow, unable to move, God has en enlarged his heart and set him running free in a wide place. Literally translated, you open wide my heart. He makes confident statements like, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. I will run in the way of your commandments. What a difference. What was the difference? The difference was the grace of God in him. Verse 29, uh, the one plea in this section is, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Again, the psalmist recognizes that he is prone to wander towards false ways, and he asks God to graciously put them away and to teach him the true way. Notice the two ways again. Put false ways far from me. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. We have two ways before us. The psalmist continues to have his mind set on God's way, the way of faithfulness, truthfulness, blamelessness. But an important word to note in what we're reading there is the word graciously. Graciously, teach me your way. Put false ways from me. God is the initiator. And these confident statements of I will do this and I will do that, they're not confidence in self. It's, it's not vain confidence, right? He's already established that he's prone to wander, but his confidence is in God's grace towards him. 
grace that will strengthen him to keep him on the true way and put false ways far from him. He, he cannot enlarge his own heart. Only God can do that. That's why the psalmist pleads, let me not be put to shame. That's his way of recognizing that at the end of the day, it's God that is setting him on his feet and holding him up. He must depend on God's grace as he is depending on God's rules. He doesn't want to slip again. He wants his running free in the way of God's commandments to be lasting and genuine and upheld by God. He says, let me not be put to shame. Have mercy on me. Be patient with me. Help me. Lead me. He's, it's all on God that he's dependent on. It is on God's grace he is trusting that he will not be put to shame, but picked up and standing, running in the Lord's ways. Is this true for you? And God's grace is revealed to you on this side of the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's dependent on Christ, who's our cornerstone. If, if you're not a Christian this morning, my plea for you is the psalmist's plea to God for you. Put the false ways far from you. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ by God's grace. In him there is no guilt, no shame. Your past, present, and future sins all forgiven. And you don't need to get your life right to come to him. You just come to him. Dependent on his grace, lay, it, lay out all of your ways before him, and he will answer you. But the, and the, the good news on top of that is that he won't leave you there. Commit your way to him. He will set you on the truthful way. He will graciously teach you his way. And his way is the better way. It's the good way. That is the paradox of this passage, right? The, the false ways of the world that seem like they're, they're freeing are actually bondage. Sin is not freedom. It does not promise true happiness. It will always leave you wanting. It will always leave your soul clinging to the dust and ultimately under the dust, right? Sin is bondage. But the commandments of God that seem like constraints, they're actually things that we live freely by, right? The word of God is not bondage. It's not boring. It's not the kill joy of life, but it's actually the very thing that brings joy to life. Because obedience to the law of God is not an end in and of itself. It is the means by which we know God's character, by which we grow closer to God himself. He is the end. He is the one your soul truly needs. He is the one you can know and have true freedom and joy in. A quote from uh, 19th century pastor Francis James Grimke says, it's a big quote, the aim of all of our preaching should be to bring Christ to the front. 
to set forth his ideals and principles and to live them ourselves and to get others to do the same. This program, faithfully followed, will cure all ills of the world and will bring peace and happiness in all the walks and relations of life. It may be a slow process, but with the Holy Spirit attending our efforts, it cannot fail. To all, at least, who accept Christ and walk according to his ideals and principles, there will be peace and happiness. You can't reject Christ and his high and holy ideals and principles as the rule of life and ever hope to find inward peace or happiness. Out of the right way, the way of righteousness, there is no peace for anyone. Only as we get in harmony with God in accord with his way, there can be peace. If you are a Christian, even when your soul feels heavy, keep choosing the way of faithfulness. Keep choosing to set his rules before you. Keep clinging to his testimonies, even in those seasons where it feels like you're clinging to the dust. Know that in Christ, he will not put you to shame. We can have confidence in this because of the promise of God's grace at the cross and his promise to open wide our hearts to be able to do this. Pray that God will continue to more and more open wide your heart. Maybe in the heaviness, in the heaviness, he's doing this for you, to you. By his grace, he opens wide our hearts that we can endure the pressures of the scorners. He opens wide our hearts that we would have more of the delight and freedom to seek his commandments. He opens wide our hearts that we can get more and more of him and be ready for that last day. Christian and hope were not ultimately left in that dungeon. Christian had remembered. He had a key in his chest pocket. He says, what a fool I've been to lie in a stinking dungeon like this when I could just as well walk free. I have a key in my pocket next to my heart called promise that will, I am sure, open any lock in Doubting Castle. And that's what they did. By that key, they flung open wide the doors and walked free. We all in Christ have this key called promise that from God's word, he graces us to stand and run free. Promises of grace, in this life, promises of future hope and promises of that hope fulfilled in the resurrection. These are promises we can cling to. Let's pray.